This is your boy Dave DC Canton, and I'm your host of the podcast for your punk ass. Brother's been busy down here in Florida, if y'all haven't heard the news. I'm gonna tell you something about this man. He's got more brains than you ever know. Yeah, Dave, as we go to tape, breaking news is that Donald Trump has been indicted for bribery payments to Stormy Daniels, who has to be the most popular pornographic actress on earth right now. I guess I wouldn't know. You know what I'm saying? You know, Governor Ron DeSantis and the Florida Department of Education had rejected a pilot program uh, for the AP African American Studies. And there's been a whole lot of other legislation being proposed to challenge gender studies, critical race theory, intersectionality. Now, I can get into a whole dissertation discussion, but that's not what we do here on the podcast. I'm going to break it down real simple for you. So, so when you look at African American studies, what is African American studies? Well, what, what is that? Well, it started in 1968, the year I was born, at San Francisco State. Why? Black students were protesting the Eurocentric curriculum. In other words, all your courses, history, sociology, anthropology, they all studied white people. Eurocentric. Did not talk about the role or the central role African Americans or people of African descent played throughout world history. So they create this discipline, African studies, which was interdisciplinary. In other words, you have a historian, political scientist, anthropologist, sociologist, all in this one department. And their job, like any other discipline, is to teach students to become critical thinkers, become better writers, be able to communicate orally, work in groups. And like any other discipline, there are debates. But what's happening here in Florida and other red states is this ideal that in African American studies, there's not teaching going on, there's preaching or indoctrination, as Governor Ron DeSantis likes to say. In other words, you're in these, the professors are in these classes indoctrinating students to see the world one particular way, that they're not getting multiple sides of a discussion. That there, once you leave an African Studies class, you're going to join Black Lives Matter, get into a protest, oh, and burn no, down didn't. a CVS. You're militant, but I ain't mad at you. I ain't got nothing but love for you. So am I to understand that you men completed your training on your own? In the higher education, all sides are welcome as long as you can back it up with evidence and proof. That's the fact. Yeah. So essentially, what what's getting down to is a battle of interpretation. How should we interpret African-American life in this country? So for many on the conservative side, they'll say when you talk about racism, you're playing the race card, you're being a victim. In other words, it's not racism that's the problem for black people. Black people are their own problem. Quote unquote, black on black crime, black culture, hip hop, lack of accountability. Therefore, stop playing the victim. It's so bad that some even saying that white people experience more racism than black people. That's where we are right now in this country. This is absurd. So what scholars in African studies try to do is show that what? How there's different gaps between blacks and white people in healthcare, income, 
wealth education. So the question is why? This is the fundamental interpretive debate. So we talk about critical race theory, they argue that well, if you look at American institutions, whether private or public, they are infected by racism. And the goal is how do we make society equitable? This is the fundamental question. This is a question that, that's asked in many classrooms. But for, for Ron DeSantis and others, they're saying that's indoctrination. In other words, this perspective is anti-American. It's anti-teaching about American values of meritocracy, individualism, which is, again, far from the truth. When we look at African history, African Americans are at the foundation of putting the D in democracy in this country, whether it's during Reconstruction, the Civil Rights Movement, right? And then we also see whenever the African Americans' status improve in this country, white people's status improve. Look at Reconstruction. What happened during Reconstruction provided public education in the South, not just for black people, but also white people. Look at the Great Society of the 1960, Medicaid, Medicare, Pell Grants. More white people benefited because they're the majority. Look at Obamacare, 2010. There are more white people benefiting from Obamacare than black people. It's a recommendation, they recommend it. Again, we see this is like the 1950s, where the boogeyman was what? Communism, red baiting. Now it's critical race theory, intersectionality, black queer studies, black lives matter, reparations. These are all boogeymen to create fear of galvanized voters. That we need to get rid of these teachers in the K through 12 level that promote these left wing radical agendas. But the funny thing is they never sit down and define what is a radical agenda. What does that mean? Now, sometimes they may say the abolitions of police movement. Now, some people advocate abolitions of police, of police. Some people don't support that position. It's a debate. Reparations. Some people support reparations. Some people don't support reparations. These are debates that are done in the classroom. You see what I'm saying? These are debates. Like any other discipline, there are debates. But we see, in terms of the last few years, the right has been using critical race theory as this boogeyman that's not even taught in the K-12. through I think we talked about it on the podcast before. It's taught on the, on the higher education level, ed, uh, law school and also graduate school. But the reality is when you look at the theory, let's look at the theory. What's the discussion about it? Where does this theory come from? Critical race theory comes from Professor Derek Bell, a former civil rights attorney who fought to end legal segregation. But then he looked up by the 70s and 80s. He said, you know what? There's still segregation, particularly in northern schools in Milwaukee, Boston, New York, in spite of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Then he realized that, you know what, if you look at American institutions, education, we see that racism, when you look at black boys suspensions or black children's suspensions, when you look at the number of black students who are not in advanced courses, you see, when you look at the number of lack of black teachers, these are functions of a system, folks. That's what people are arguing. And that's not playing victim. 
This is backed up by years and years of data and studies that talk about this problem in K through 12 for years. The prison, the school to prison pipeline is real with students now getting arrested for having a fight in school, not suspended, arrested. There's data on that. We look at how black students are suspended at a higher rate. There's data on that. That's not being a victim, folks. These are statistics. So Florida is very hot right now on this topic. There's no doubt about it. Uh, they argue that uh, DeSantis will run for president, will make his declaration sometime in May and June after the Florida legislation session ends. Now he's making a big case. He's getting a big name and getting a lot of push out of what he's trying to do to higher education. Yep. So we need to keep abreast on this on that's, this topic. That's vitally important, Dave, because what happens there can happen elsewhere. Here's Slick with the minute. This year's men's college basketball tournament has been truly March Madness. Connecticut, San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, and Miami. Who had that Final Four? For the first time since 1979, the Final Four would have no number one, number two, or number three seeds, and no team left will have a McDonald's All-American on their roster. This tournament has truly been about parity and coaching. UConn has looked like the best team, but Florida Atlantic is 35-3. and three. They don't look like Cinderella. We've never seen a Tobacco Road final featuring Duke and North Carolina or a Bluegrass final with Louisville versus Kentucky. Are we ready for a South Florida final with Florida Atlantic and Miami? I'm Jay Reyes, and this is a Slick Sports Minute. All right. Flush the bombers, get the subs in launch mode. We are at DEFCON 1. Now you're being condescending. Mm-hmm. You've been warned, all right? Let's move forward amicably. Okay, well, so check I, this out. First of all, you're throwing too many big words at me. Okay, now, because I don't understand them, I'm going to take them as disrespect. So what's on your mind, Dave? Eric Bieniemy. Ah, interesting. Just like I said before, denied a head coaching job, and LaShawn McCoy just has a beef, former Philadelphia Eagle running back, just to have some sort of beef with Bieniemy. But now he's the assistant head coach, offensive coordinator with the Washington Commanders, whose quarterback is Sam Howell. Now, this is this is the risk now. So, Biennemi left Kansas City because, like I said before, they still giving Andy Reid the credit and Patrick Mahomes. In other words, they're saying, listen, Dave, you could have been offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs the last five years. You have the best quarterback, two-time MVP, two-time Super Bowl winner, Patrick Mahomes, and Andy Reid, who's been to the championship, won two Super Bowls, and been to about six or seven championship, conference championship games. So that's what they're saying. So Bianami's investing himself. So, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become an offensive, I mean a head coach, assistant head coach, and the offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders, whose offense was suspected best last year. So what does that mean? If the Washington Commanders offense is not a top-tier offense, then all the blame will be on the enemy to justify the points what people are saying all along, that he's not a great coach because what made him great was Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. You see what I'm saying? So that's the problem. Now, the Commanders doesn't have a quarterback. So on the one hand, you applaud his taking this chance. Let me go here to the commanders, and I'm going to run the whole offensive show. But if the team doesn't do well, then what happens? 
Does he stay as assistant head coach for the next three to five years? Right? Do you wait till the Washington Commanders make the playoffs and he makes a jump to the become a head coach? But we see this is the again challenge with black coaches. And then the other day I heard Rob Parker and Doug Gottlieb argue about racism in NFL head coaches. And of course, here we go again. Rob Parker, the black guy, says racism involved. The white guy, Doug Gottlieb, said, yeah, there might be racism, but there are other factors. See, that's the game, folks. There are other factors. Stop. Yes, there may be racism, but whenever they say that, but Gottlieb, that means he doesn't fully buy into the race thing. So he says, well, what happened to Jim Caldwell, former Detroit Lion head coach? Well, Jim Caldwell, well, according to Gottlieb, Caldwell says he stopped. Caldwell is not looking for jobs because of health reasons. Then the next day on ESPN.com, Caldwell said himself he stopped looking for head coaching jobs because he's not getting phone calls. This, every next day I saw the article that goes against Gottlieb's health question. Where did that come from? The Caldwell called Gottlieb said, listen, son, I'm not applying for a job because I'm sick. No, he said he stopped looking because he's not getting phone calls. Why? Racism, Gottlieb. It's not playing a victim. We got to stop with this nonsense that black folks are making racism up. Like we have some sort of uh, mental health problem or something. Racism is real. In fact, I'm going to shout out my boy Scott Brown from UCLA. He says, you know what? In this country, we have institutional racist deniers. I-R-D. They deny that institutional racism exists. And we have to organize to stop this movement. In other words, what they're saying, yes, there was racism, but after 1965, it has stopped. You have Barack Obama, Oprah Winfrey. If black people don't make it, they are playing the race card and playing victim, woe is me, going to the government looking for assistance. This is a bunch of crap. The reality is racism, institutional racism, not a few bad apples looking for the Klan, looking for the Proud Boys. Just we're saying that on an institutional level, media, private big corporations, higher education, uh, public education, housing, health care. What do we see? We talked about dirty water in Jackson. Jackson's 80% black. What's happening in a red state? Not providing funding for infrastructure in Jackson, Mississippi. Look at Flint, Michigan. Dirty water. Why? Poor working class black town. We see that. Environmental racism is real. Why? Because they take advantage of areas that don't have the political economic power. You don't see dirty water in the suburbs of Jackson. You don't see these issues in high income areas. So institutional racism, racism deniers, IRD. That's from my boy, Scott Brown. And he's perfectly right. We want to deny that institutional racism exists, that we still see racism as these egregious acts of individuals, a white person dropping the N-bomb. You see that on Twitter or whatever every now and then. And everybody gets all fired up. We see the one white person, right? Rather than see a system. This is what we're talking about, and this is what's being studied in African American studies. And then when you take these courses, nobody's telling you to go join an organization, get involved, do this, do that. What we're saying is here is a perspective. Here is one perspective. 
the black conservatives are or conservatives argue that racism is based on individual prejudice. It's not within the system. Then the other argument is that racism is systemic and we see it within these other institutions. So then students see those multiple perspectives and they decide how they should go about it. That's the point. Whether it's critical race theory, intersectionality, we're having in-depth discussions, dialogues, and debates in the classroom. You see, it's not indoctrination. We're not out here, you know, uh, uh, preaching this or proselytizing. This isn't church. This is the classroom. That's what people fail to understand. You see what I mean? But then on one hand, check this out. At one time, if you looked at American history textbooks, they said that slavery was a good thing. So we talk about education indoctrinating. There was a long time where they indoctrinated the belief that white people were superior to black people. Now, of course, we'll say, well, the country's moved a long way from that. We know that's not true. That era ended in 1965, right? We'll hear that argument. The glass is half full. But then how do we explain the gaps between blacks and whites, whether it's unemployment rates? The black unemployment rate is twice the white unemployment rate historically. The black poverty rate is higher than the white poverty rate historically. Then what's the argument? Right? Conservatives will argue that black people need better values. Stop playing victim in the race car. Well, there's no victim. These are real studies impacting African-American lives. We see it in the criminal justice system. That's why we have Black Lives Matter. We see it in the uh, black trans community, how they're being handled in society. These are real issues that need to be addressed and need to be discussed in the classroom. See what I mean? But for many in Florida, they want to take that out of the classroom and basically want African-American studies to be, you know, appraising all the glories of America. They want you to show the glasses, not half full, all the way full. Yeah, there's a few problems, but at the end of the day, this is the best country in the world, the best healthcare system, the best educational system. But when you measure America to other industrialized nations, you see the nation is behind in many categories, infant mortality rates, life expectancy, and other major data points. So where can we have these discussions but in the classroom? If not, you put blinders on them, and then guess who suffers? African Americans disproportionately suffer, but growing amounts of poor white people are suffering if you don't have these honest discussions in the classroom. If you look at American uh, mortality rates, they are declining compared to other industrialized nations. Why is that, Dave? Because of our economic system. This isn't talking about being anti-America. This is real life. You have an economic system that's becoming more based on automation and technology and that good old working class jobs are slowly leaving you also have, there's an article in New York Times about child labor still being exploited by undocumented kids. We see a whole bunch of jobs that don't pay a livable wage, which creates an income gap between the top 10% earners and everybody else. These are facts. These are realities. And those that don't want you knowing about that, you know why? Because they're making two, 300000 a year. They're living in a bubble. Their life is perfect. They got great health care. They have great diets. They go to the gym. 
But for the masses of Americans, they are slowly suffering. And the reason why we don't see that is we don't have these discussions in school because everybody in America is middle class. Everybody's doing okay. That's far from reality. The reality is, is that we have a growing, a growing class divide in this country. That's real in the last 30, 40 years. We see working class wages have stagnated, haven't kept up with inflation. We've seen inflation last few years go up. What impact it has on working people in this country? And if it has an impact on white people, it has a double impact on African-Americans. That's not playing victim, folks. This is real life. These are real statistics. There's no doubt about it. So let's get back. I'm going to be the first to talk about this story. Beaks, Kevin Hart was supposed to perform in Cairo, Egypt. And he said, we should learn about the ancient Egyptians who built the pyramids. Black people should know they were kings. They canceled his performance, saying that those remarks, or those quote-unquote Afrocentric remarks are incorrect. Boy, pop, bruh. This is the reality. Islam itself is a common error. It wasn't until 622 common error, or what you'll call uh, AD, right? By the time Islam, the religion, came around, the pyramids, the pyramids were over two, 3,000 years old, son. It isn't until 641 common era when Islam goes through northern Egypt. So those pyramids were built by Egyptians. Egypt is an African civilization. Why? According to my boy Troy Allen's research, because it's a matrilineal society, which means descent through the mother. Now, of course, there's different, see, but we get confused. We like to use the racial. They were different. They were dark-skinned Egyptians. It's almost like America. There's a range of skin colors. When you look at Egyptian culture, it was matrilineal. You see what I'm saying? But for many, when you look at many Egyptians or Arabs Egyptians, they don't want to give the black folks the credit. And this is why they canceled Kevin Hart's show in Cairo. So when you go visit the pyramids, they want you to believe that the Arabs built them. That's far from the truth. They already built by the time Islam went through Egypt. They were thousands of years old. I can't, well, I guess I still can believe they're still pushing this narrative. And this is the thing that people of African descent deal with globally. Nobody wants to give black folks their due or give them their flowers. This is a problem. This is why African studies, African history, this is why we need these courses in 2023. This is why we have Black History Month. The lack of knowledge about black people. I can even give you a personal story, Beeks. You know, I went to Truman High School. I was in the honors programs, all of that. You know, I never heard of W.E.B. Du Bois until college, son. That's a crime. That I graduated high school, never heard of W.E.B. Du Bois, Ella Baker, Angela Davis, Booker T. Washington, Ida B. Wells. Did we even talk about Frederick Douglass? I don't even remember, son. 
That's a crime. That's criminal. And guess what? That's still happening today in spite of all the advances with African American studies, Black History Months across this country. Many students are still not educated on African American history, African American studies. This is why we need these courses to continue to grow and develop because America is a multiracial democracy. That's the reality. Some folks want us to go back to the 1950s. Well, we ain't going back. When you look at the demography of this country, if you look at American public schools, they are majority students of color. Look at California. It's a minority majority state. So people live in fear. There's no need to be fear. It should be embraced to represent what America is supposed to stand for, right? A multi-racial democracy, and I'm out. And that's the show, folks. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Because we're going to bring you another podcast for your punk ass as soon as it's humanly possible. Because without you... There would only be us. Only add color to my tears. Oh, oh. That splash against my hollow bones. That rocks my soul. Oh, oh, oh. Looking back.